It shouldn't be news to you that brides aren't the only ones planning weddings these days. Even if you're working with two grooms or a couple who don't identify with the gender at all, it's not just one person who's calling the shots. Couples today are making joint decisions more than ever, and you've got to adjust your sales process to meet their decision-making process. In this episode, you'll take away why you're getting ghosted when others get involved, five different roles in complex decisions like vendor choices, and five ways you can involve others without sounding awkward. Own Your Business is a podcast for event professionals who want to grow with proven approaches. I'm Sam Jacobson, a sales, pricing, and copywriting expert in the wedding industry. Throughout my career, I've booked hundreds of events for millions in revenue. I've also led teams in premium and luxury markets. Now I coach people like you with my company, ID Action Consulting. It's not easy to run a business, especially if it's a business of one, because we aren't born knowing everything. Like you, I had experts who showed me the way when I was starting out and when I was ready to level up. I hope this podcast gives you the confidence to own your business. So I'm going to start off this episode with a little real life scenario that could have happened at some point in the past. You know, not last year, but not 300 years ago. I want you to try and tell me what year you think it is. All right, so a man walks in the door to his house. It's the afternoon, evening. He announces, honey, I'm home. She comes out of the kitchen wearing an apron and her hair in a bun and then apologize for dinner still being 15 minutes out. Here, she says, I poured you a Tom Collins and left it next to a fresh pack of cigarettes in your den. I'll come get you when I finish cooking and cleaning the rest of the house. Little Jimmy hears his dad come home and runs downstairs to show him the new Batman comic book he picked up at the local five and dime. Do me a favor, son, dad says. Get up and turn the dial on the television to ABC's Wide World of Sports and fix the antenna so we get better reception. Little Johnny obeys his father's request and sits down quietly next to him reading the Batman and Robin's battles with the Joker. Ten minutes later, Mom pulls out the Salisbury steak and brings everything to the den. Set up the television trays, Jimmy, she says. We're going to watch Leave it to Beaver tonight. All right, so what year is it? 1950? 1960? Maybe they're watching reruns and it's in the 70s? Either way... This whole scene is about as old-fashioned as the cocktail that Dad's drinking. I mean, when I worked in a bar 15, 20 years ago, Tom Collins were old-time recipes even back then. Now, some things don't change, like watching TV while you're having dinner. (laughs) I think that's still something that many of us do. But other things do, especially gender stereotypes. They've been bent and broken compared to even just 20, 30 years ago, 10 years ago. Now, both people in the relationship cook, clean the house, parent the kids, work to earn money for the family. Gender norms are being pushed more than ever. And the gap between historically accepted values and what we are accepting today growing wider and wider. Same-sex marriages were legalized in my home state, Washington, in 2012 and across the U.S. in 2015. I remember when I first started doing workshops with The Knot back in 2017, there was a big push that year for inclusiveness in the LGBTQ plus community. I was out at, I think, four workshops that year, and in every single one of them, Joe Meyer, amazing planner out of New York, he had this incredible presentation that he gave, and it was about 
how to change your website and your marketing material to be welcoming and inclusive to all. He focused on removing gender-specific terms and assumptions that we had in our marketing material. Now, changing the descriptions for bride and groom on your contact form or in your contract and on your website, that's important stuff. Everybody should be doing that 100%. And it's not just pronouns that we need to keep in mind when it comes to meeting the needs of today's couples when they inquire. Just like Susie, little Jimmy's mom is no longer stuck at home wearing an apron, doing all the cooking and cleaning and parenting. She's also not the only one doing the wedding planning. Brides may or may not be your ideal client, but even if they are, they're often just the first person who reaches out and we should not stereotype them when they do. In 99% of the situations where you're selling your services, the first person who reaches out is unlikely to be the only person making the decision on who to pick in a vendor category. They're just one out of a many growing number of people who are helping to make the choice. You can absolutely count on the person that they're marrying to be a part of the conversation. Even if it doesn't happen with you in the room, on the Zoom, on the phone, CC'd on the email, or on their secret Pinterest board. But you can bet that there's more than one person making the decision and they're having conversations about that decision without you there. Today's couples make decisions and move forward together. They buy cars together, they buy houses together, they parent together, and they plan weddings together. So the sooner you adapt to the new normal, the more successful you're gonna be selling your services to these couples. But it's not just the couple that's involved. Unless the couple is eloping, chances are there's a larger group, more than just the couple that's involved in the decision-making process. Parents, best friends, people they know who've gotten married recently, planners, venues, other vendors. All of these people are involved in making the decision with them. So rather than look at titles like parent or friend or planner, I recommend a name that describes the role they play in the decision-making process if you want to get to know them better and find ways to sell your services. So I've come up with five different roles that I've recognized over the 15 years that I've been selling weddings or coaching people to sell weddings. I want to share them with you and a little bit of background so that you can understand these different roles and make sure that you're including them in how you share the information, when you share it, where you share it, so that they can be involved in making that decision with the first person who inquires, bride, groom, whomever it may be. So these five roles are scout, sleeper, banker, coach, and cheerleader. So let's talk about the scout. The scout is exactly what you imagine. Somebody who is going out and collecting information and bring it back to the group. This is often the first person who reaches out to you. The one who asks for pricing and packages or availability or send over information. The scout is interested in collecting that information and bringing it back to the group. Now, the second type of buyer, and this is the sleeper. The sleeper is usually the other person in the relationship who's getting married, but is not the primary person who inquires. Now, sometimes that can be the same dynamic throughout the entire wedding planning process. You could have a scout and a sleeper, and that's just the nature of their relationship. Every time there's a vendor that needs to be chosen or a decision that needs to be made, there's one person who goes out and collects the information and brings it back 
and then they make it together. Or it could be that they just divide and conquer. It could be that they decide to chop up the things that they're interested in. Some people are more interested in other vendor categories or other parts of the wedding planning. And so the scout could be different in different vendor categories. Now, the third role in the group dynamics is the banker. And the banker's always involved. The banker could be the sleeper buyer as well, but either way, the banker is the one who is actively a part of the financial decision that's going to be made. Nothing moves forward without the banker. The fourth role is the coach. Now, the coach is there to do what it sounds like. Provide recommendations, advice, suggestions, direction on where to go, things to consider. All of the different factors are all coming into play when the coach sits down and says, this is what I think we should do. People who are on the decision-making team listen. Now, the coach can often be a wedding planner, or it could be the venue manager, or maybe the best friend who just got married. And that coach is going to be an integral player in the decisions that go forward. The fifth and final role out of all five of these is the cheerleader. And the cheerleader does just what it sounds like. They are the person who is on the sideline, not actively involved in making the decision, but is super supportive and encouraging of the two people who are getting married. Now, sometimes you'll find that there's no cheerleader. Or you may just not ever talk with them and they're totally behind the scenes. Sometimes you'll find that there's no coach. Again, the best coach is the planner. But something like 10, 12% of weddings use full service planning. That's not very many. And so you're not going to find that there's a coach involved early on, especially until maybe an event manager starts to play a role. Often, like I said, the sleeper buyer and the banker are the same person. And other times the banker is a parent who's helping to finance the celebration. No matter what, though, you've got to suss out the different people who are in different roles if you want to make it easier for you to book them. And also to help them make it easier to make the decision because they probably are making this kind of decision for the first time ever together. And if you ever worked in group before, you know that there are these you know, storming, forming, norming, performing stages that you go through. And people have to go through all of them before they get to the point where they're actually doing well together as a team, making decisions, making progress, getting results. And so if you're early in the decision-making process for wedding planning, like venue, fashion, photography, planner, catering, you may run into groups of people who have not worked well before together. And so what ends up happening is that it's a big mess on their part and you've got to help navigate that for them. Now I will tell you that this whole approach to group decision-making is nothing new. We've known about this for better part of a decade as millennials have moved through the school system and into jobs. They have been brought up to work together to get things done. It's how they do it. Instead of the desks being all in a row with columns, desks are clustered together and they have been since early eighties. People have been trained since kindergarten to work together in groups. They do some individual work, but they do a lot of group work too. Also social media and getting input from other people who are aware of what's going on in your life. This has been a part of how millennials and newer generations are 
sharing their process of planning their weddings. And it's all available and transparent for everybody to be involved in. It's part of the reason why Nordstrom has created these dressing rooms for not just one person to be in, but multiple people. Because they recognize that shopping is a group experience. Their buyers wanted to go into the dressing rooms and get other people's opinions before they made a final purchase. And so they created these rooms that were big enough for everybody to be a part of it. The whole group was going in there to help make the choice. And you're doing the same thing. You may not see them in the dressing room. You may not see them on the email chain. You may not see them on the Zoom or on the phone. But you are absolutely selling to a number of different people. And you've got to follow the same general principles for all of them that we do for the primary buyer. You have to seek out their needs and address them. And until you do that, you're not going to have an easy time making the sale. You have to do that before you get to the point where you make the ask. You have to understand what their needs are. And you've got to make sure that they know what you do to help meet those needs. Now, it's easy to know who the scout is. The scout's the first person that you talk to, but you got to dig around a little bit to find the others. So here are some things that you can do at different times in the buyer's journey to identify who's involved and also what kind of role they play. So early on, you can do this by just picking up on clues in the inquiry. Sometimes they'll mention a name, my partner and I, my fiance, my mom, my dad, my sister, my brother, my friend whatever it may be, they mention a name. So you know that there's another person who's involved. Sometimes they'll mention it indirectly by using first-person plural pronouns. So they'll say, our hope is, or uh, it's, it's important to us, or we would like to know more information. So when they use that first-person plural pronoun, that's something that you can pick up on and ask about who the other person is. I noticed that you use the word we when asking about, you know, what do we need to do to get information? Tell me a little bit more about who that we is. So that's one area that you could do that pretty early on without really having to do a lot of work. All right, second area that you can find out who these other decision makers are, you can ask them to come to the discovery call. So let's say you get an inquiry from Steve and Steve says that, he wants to get on a phone call with you to go over the information that you want to share. You can say, great, Steve, this sounds amazing. Is there anybody else that we need to invite or involve in this conversation that's helping you make the decision? He says, yeah, absolutely. My fiance, Tom, and I are doing everything jointly. It'd be great if we could get him on the call. Can we do a Zoom together? All right, so you can invite other people to the call. And you can do that by email or text or DM or whatever it is that you're doing to communicate and correspond with somebody who's inquired. A third area, a third way, third time that you can ask for who else is involved in making a decision is when you are on the discovery call and you can ask them directly, hey, I noticed that you and I are the only ones on the call, but you're getting married. So I know that there are two people who are involved in the planning. Tell me a little bit more about that other person. Or I know that you two are on this call I'm wondering, are there other people who are helping you plan the wedding, whether directly or indirectly by helping to finance it? Very simple to ask on the call. And I would do it early on so that you can spend most of the call trying to incorporate those other decision makers and ask what kind of information is going to be helpful for them. 
All right, a fourth area that you can check out who else is involved in making the decision is to offer to email a recap after the discovery call and include people with a CC. I picked up this one from Katie a couple years ago. It's a great little trick that you can use to find out who else is involved in making a decision. So you do the discovery call and at the end you offer to send out a proposal if it's a good fit. You ask at some point, great, I can send this out. You know, I have your email address. Who else should I copy on the email to make sure that they get a chance to look at it? Or is there anybody else who's going to be looking at the proposal before they're making a decision? They say, yes, you say, great, I can get their email address and I can just forward it over to them directly. That way I don't have to put you in the middle. That's usually relief for many people who are planning their wedding. They don't want to be put in the middle of the group decision. So if you can step in and open up those lines of communication directly with them with a request to CC, it's a great way to do it. The fifth way that you can find out who else is involved in making the decision and invite them to be a part of the process is when you are ready to review the proposal. Now, you know our ideal sales process follows something along the lines of somebody inquires, you pre-qualify them to make sure it's a good idea to get on the phone and spend time with them. You do that and then you qualify them on the phone and you go through the whole discovery process. If you find that it is still a good fit, you then send out a proposal But you want to make sure that you have a chance to review the proposal. So the highest conversion rate goes to the person who can get a second phone call pre-scheduled while still on that first discovery call. When you do that, you get the call scheduled and then you invite other people. You could send a follow-up email recap talking about the discovery call. And then in there, you confirm the date and time that you're going to be doing the second phone call. And then you ask, is there anybody else who we should invite I can do it directly and add it to the calendar invitation. Invite them to the proposal review. I can tell you out of all of these five different ways that you can involve people, getting somebody to show up to the proposal review is the most important thing for your success in your business. It's important to get somebody on a second phone call, but boy, oh boy, do your odds of booking and doing so at a higher rate faster with fewer objections and concerns on the buyer's part, that goes way up. If you can get both people who are getting married or if there is a banker who's involved, that's not the scout or the sleeper buyer. If there's a third party banker, a parent who's involved, get them on the phone. Give them an opportunity to ask you questions directly and give yourself an opportunity to answer those questions directly because otherwise somebody else, the scout or the sleeper is going to be the one doing the selling for you. And I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want somebody else selling my services I wouldn't want somebody who's getting married trying to convince a banker that I'm low risk and high value. I'd want to do that myself. Give yourself the chance to sell to all the decision makers if you want to avoid stalling out or even backtracking towards the end. How many times have you gotten off the discovery call and the person that you're talking to near the end says, wow, this is amazing. You are exactly the person that I've been looking for. Send over a contract and I'll sign it tonight. And then crickets. I mean, you're high-fiving your spouse or significant other. You're adding it to your, your, your bookings made sheet. You've got high hopes for this one. And then nothing happens. Katie, she calls it the kiss of death. This is the worst kind of ghosting. This is 10 times worse than early on in the buying journey. When you get to the end and somebody's super excited and you get a verbal yes, 
you feel like you can take it to the bank, but you can't because you don't have the money yet. You don't have the signed contract yet. And part of it is because, if not most of it is because, you didn't involve all the decision makers, especially the banker, because the bankers got questions. What do bankers want to do? They want to lower risk. What do we know is important at the end of a complex decision-making process? Lowering risk. If you have not yet gotten to the banker, you have to do that. You have to have a way to get your proposal in front of the banker and to get the banker's questions and concerns and objections addressed and overcome. The reason is because everyone who's involved is not yet sold. And that's on you to solve it for them. Not the person who inquired, not the scout. And the sooner you get good at this, the sooner you're going to start to see success. It's one of the most important things that you can get good at, especially as you move up in price point. The more people are paying, the more people are involved. It's oftentimes a family experience. It's a family event. It's a ceremony that celebrates the coming together of two families. And so you could have not just the couple that's getting married or their parents, you could have in-laws that are involved too. You could have outside party planners who are retained by the family involved. You've got to make sure that you suss out who's involved, what they want, and then figure out how you can address that. So going back to our story that we started with, it's super important to dump the gender norms that even we grew up with, not 50 years ago, 75 years ago. It was only seven years ago that gay marriage was legalized in the U.S. And yes, you have to stop using pronouns like bride and groom on your contact forms and in your contracts on your website because we don't live in the 50s or the 90s, even 10 years ago. It's time to wake up to the reality that couples share joint responsibilities in many, many areas of their lives, including wedding planning. Boom. That's it for this episode on Own Your Business. If you've heard me on a stage or a workshop or someone else's podcast, you know I have a hard time keeping it short, but I know you're busy. So thanks for spending time with me today. You have a ton of options for guides when it comes to getting you to where you want to go. I hope you found someone you can continue to trust. If you have a friend who could use practical strategies to own their business, please share this episode with them. If you can't think of anyone in particular, we'd settle for a quick review on whatever podcast platform you listen through. 